Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hi there, and welcome to the show. It's April 8th, and uh, it's Wednesday in the year of our horror, 2020. Uh, if you've come for uplifting fare, I think you better tune out right right now. I got Butkus, really. Is it Butkus? Butkus. Butkus, Butkus was a football player. Um, oh, God. So, seriously, if you want... Um, uh, a, a little relief. Uh, you guys are going to have to supply it. And and by the way, my uh, city paper w- uh, e- um, mail email is down. It, it's been down since last night. So if you want if you want to talk to me, you gotta on email. You have to do it on my my old show uh, email Cullen Show C U L L E N. S-H-O-W, Cullen Show, at yahoo.com. Okay, so uh, ideally that's where you'll send your, your stuff. Um, stuff going to the old city paper uh, mail is supposedly forwarded to the Cullen Show uh, site as well, but I'm just not sure it's it's working. So uh, please try to use Cullen Show at yahoo.com today. Um and I guess that's all the the housekeeping kind of stuff to deal with. Uh, man, did that storm last night? Uh, you know, get get you up in the when was that? I didn't look at the clock, but there was uh, a flash of lightning and uh, and a resulting kaboom over my house. That literally, I mean, I sat straight up in bed as did the dog. Um, it was something. I normally like uh, thunder and lightning. I do. I, I like storms. Um, and I didn't like that last night. It was scary. Um, I Actually, my heart was pounding. And, I, and I, I realized, I thought to myself, you're never afraid of lightning and thunder. But there was something particularly frightening about that storm. And I do see that uh, it did some serious damage not far from here in New Kensington, and there is suspicion that it did spawn a tornado. I, yeah, it was it was scary. It was. Um, so anyway, uh, hope you didn't get any damage at your place. I did hear some things hitting my roof, but I haven't gone out to assess any any damage. So this is me avoiding. Getting, getting to the uh, the subjects at hand. Although, wait a minute, Amy is telling me that I have a caller already. All right, well, go ahead. Hello. Hey, Lynn. It's Mike in DC. Hey, how are you doing? I'm okay. So I heard you talk about Joanne Rogers' interview about what Mr. Rogers would say. Yeah. And she said I didn't know. I wasn't listening live, or I would have called in. Um, and I think I know what Fred Rogers would say, because he said this before about tragedies. He says, look for the helpers. Look for the helpers. I mean, that's the classic line. Always his mother always said to him, look for the helpers. 
Um, and there are lots I, of help and that's what, Yeah, and that's what we're doing now, too. Um, Gavin Newsom last night with, um, announced that California is spending $1 billion. I hope I got these numbers right. To get 200,000 masks a month. And he sent all of his or most of his ventilators yes. to yes. other states right. and said, please send them back when ours right. hit. And I now, know that Cuomo, Cuomo has said uh, to do the same, that we've got to cooperate since we have nothing. You know, the layer of governance over us, the federal government, is in no way doing its job to coordinate this. So governors but, are doing it. But Cuomo said, please help us now and we'll help you later. Gavin Newsom said, here's our ventilators. Give them back. That's a pretty bold move to make for someone who is in charge of the public health, you know? Well, um, I would imagine. Him. Well, I would imagine that he must feel that, I mean, he's retained enough uh, for, you know, for the current. Can you imagine during his reelection what that's going to look like well, when we needed ventilators most? What did he do? Like, it's brave and the right thing to do. So there are people doing the right thing. It's just really hard to find them right now. Yeah. But we still have to keep looking. You, well, you it's hard to find them on the political, in the political realm, uh, in, in, in positions of political leadership. We're not seeing. Uh, we're seeing it at the state level. We're seeing it in some states. But certainly at the, in this administration, the federal administration, my God, it, it's almost as if they're working to kill us all. I can't, I cannot figure Well, you really want to drag out. this conversation down, and I'm not going to let you. Here's okay. another good thing. The Army Corps of Engineers is doing an amazing job at building field hospitals. They invented yeah. a whole new system on how to get oxygen to beds without having a tank next to them. Wow. Um, so things are really, people are really doing the right things. We just have to look for them because that's that's right. There's ingen amazing ingenuity, uh, you know, where they're figuring out how how to take a ventilator and and use it for two people. Um, you know, it, it's 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 amazing uh, what some people uh, can can do in moments of crisis. The the, the proverbial people you'd want to be in a foxhole with. Um, and God bless them all. Seriously. So you called to give us positive stuff. Well, thank you very that? much. Thank you. <laughs> and let's see if we can keep this up for the day, right? I cannot. Because, I'm sorry. I got nothing here. Well, this you have callers. No. Okay. If every caller I'm, does it, the show will take off that way. But okay. If we, <laughs> but if we focus on the negative, that's what we're going right. to get. So look for the helpers. Okay, and I ain't one of them today. Okay, thank you, Mike. <laughs> sure, bye. <laughs> bye. Um, I do have to say, I just saw that somebody sent me a um, a wish for a happy Passover. Tonight is the first night of, um, without a doubt, Jews' most favorite holiday. It's so, you know, it's our our Christmas in terms of popularity of holiday. Um, because it's communal, because it, uh, it, it's a time when 
families uh, sit around a table for three hours, four hours, and 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 recite the same stories, ask the same ritualized kinds of questions, tell, and it's powerful. Um, I have never missed. I, I am not a very observant Jew. I have never missed uh, celebrating Passover. Uh, because it's communal, it's very hard on, on Jews this Passover. So tonight I will do a virtual uh, Seder. That is the what the, the dinner is called. I will do a ritual Seder with Susan's uh, family in Chicago. A ritual? A virtual? <laughs> a virtual ritual. And, um, and then Sunday... Uh, we're going to do it, the whole family is going to do it because that's the day uh, that works best for everyone in the in the family. Um, and they are scattered from London to California. So we will we will all uh, see each other. We did a trial run last Sunday, and it was. It was wonderful. It was, it was truly wonderful. But when we all said goodbye and hung up, I burst into tears. So I guess it was bittersweet is, the, is what it is, bittersweet, seeing the people you love, um, being able to talk to them, and yet not being able to touch them, to really be physically with them is, is, is rough. So... Um, uh, to all my 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 Jews, uh, a happy happy Passover, um, and you know just Jerry rig it however you have to. It's you know what's weird is one of the questions that are asked on Passover uh, is why is this night different from all other nights, uh, and. <laughs> the answer to that question is not the answer that people will be giving this year, right? Uh, the answer to the question uh, on a normal uh, Passover is that, um, well, tonight we're free, essentially. We are no longer slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt because Passover is the celebration of the exodus of Moses and um, taking the uh, the Israelites out of bondage, so it's a festival of uh, of, of joy, of liberation. I have always said it's a it's a it was very powerful to me, and uh, it is with I think without a doubt uh, it made me the liberal I am in large part. Because I remember my father, who would preside at the uh, Seders, um, talking about freedom and about slavery. Um, and there's a line that we all say um, where you make it very personal, where you say, you know, I was a slave to Pharaoh in Egypt. You know, we were slaves to Pharaoh. So it's not like, you know... Thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. No, it it brings it right immediately to you. And 
in the mid-50s. So I would have been like seven, eight years old. I remember watching the news because we do this at, you know, sundown. I remember watching the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite um, before the Seder. And that there was there were those horrific pictures of of Americans being set upon by police dogs um and and water hoses. It was the you know beginnings of the civil rights uh movement. Uh, at least in as much as we white folks in totally Whiteville, uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, were aware of it. It's how the little kid that was me first saw it. And I was blown away. And I do remember my dad, my wonderful father, drawing parallels um, to what was happening in our own country to people, to the Americans who themselves had been enslaved not long ago and how they were still being uh, deprived of their freedoms. And um, I, I don't see how a Jew can go through the recitation of the Passover story and not identify then always with the enslaved, with the people who are held down, with the people who are abused and misused and must rise up. Uh, I've never understood. As you know, Jews, American Jews, do tend to uh, more than any other demographic other than black Americans vote for Democrats because that is the party perceived to be and in fact is the more liberal party. Whatever. Just wanted to say how powerful the Passover. And if you ever want to see the greatest Passover bit ever done that really explains it. I was reminded of it this morning. My my son, when he was young, his one of his favorite uh, sh shows was on, I think Nickelodeon. I think Nickelodeon, and it was uh, Rugrats. <laughs> and it's you know little little teeny little kids, and it's um, a you know animated. And there is an episode of Rugrats where the Passover story is told because the grandfather um, is Jewish and the grandmother too, obviously. But it, but it is the funniest, most wonderful retelling of the story. If you can really find it on YouTube, whatever – uh, the, the Rugrats Passover, uh, you know, it's all of 22 minutes long. And 
I believe it won a gazillion awards. It, it, I think it, it had to have won an Emmy. It also won, I, I, it was the highest rated show ever on Nickelodeon at that point. I mean, episode. And, and there's a reason for, for it. So uh, the Jews and non-Jews, I have to tell you, if you want to laugh, I mean, if you want a wonderful laugh, and uh, a pretty good recitation of what uh, the story is. <laughs> Check out the Rugrats Passover episode, okay? There. Now, my God, the sun's trying to come out. What do you think of that, Blue? That's cool. So now, I'm sorry, I have to get into some things um, that are... That I, I mean, sorry, I just have to. <laughs> I have to. Um, yesterday we were talking about this vile acting uh, Secretary of the Navy, uh, who now is, uh, as so many are in that administration, uh, first of all, acting. And now he's the ex-acting. Uh, he has uh, resigned after his wonderful display of leadership, uh, you know, screaming and swearing at uh, the sailors who are stuck on uh, the Theodore Roosevelt. So he is gone, replaced by another acting, uh, probably idiot. Um, and yesterday also, I was talking about uh, Trump and how he was using our uh our lack of attention right now to things we would normally pay some attention to because, it, you know, it's just staying alive now, right? It's a virus all the time. Uh, he is using this time to continue to, uh, to settle scores, uh, to take down people, um, and I specifically was talking about these inspector general inspector generals, and he's done it again. I mean, no sooner was I talking about it yesterday than man, he flat out went and knocked out this incredibly well respected inspector general who had been tapped to take over oversight of that two trillion bucks that Congress has uh, has released uh, that is supposed to help Americans in this pandemic. And the fear, of course, is that because Trump is a... Uh, I'm sorry. I mean, there's so many possible... Uh, nouns I can employ here. Um, Trump is a con man. He is a grifter. He um, he is not to be trusted. And that two million bucks, a lot of it, if not really carefully uh, watched out for, overseen, which is what an inspector general's job is, will end up in his pockets, his family's pockets, his friends' pockets, uh, his donors' pockets. So he got rid of 
the guy already and has put in someone who won't do the job. This is just a few days after firing, of course, the intelligence community's uh, chief watchdog who, uh, you know, did doing his job, set off the impeachment hearings. Uh, He has publicly attacked uh, in the last few days the inspector general of the Department of Health and Human Services, a pretty important department right now, who has, in doing his job, documented the many shortages of critical equipment that our healthcare workers are suffering. And Trump has, in his briefings, has gone after him. So this is, as one person put it, an unfolding White House power play to essentially get rid of all the oversight that our system relies on to keep the executive branch, especially this one, from making off with our democracy and all the money that was supposed to go to us. Because this is a president who views any independence in his government in other words, an inspector general, any independence as intolerable, as betrayal, as disloyalty, which, of course, is the antithesis. What he thinks our government is is the antithesis of what the founders intended it. Let me, here's a quote from, a guy named uh, Paul Rosenzweig. He was uh, in the George W. administration, okay? He's not a Democrat. George W. administration. And he said that this latest removal of the oversight guy is an affront to independence. And he says, frankly... If the House of Representatives does not condition all further COVID aid on the restriction of the president's authority to remove these inspector generals, it will be a serious mistake. They should realize that the president is no longer operating in any semblance of good faith. And get this from a George W. official. Trump is now more dangerous to the fabric of American democracy than the virus. Even in um, really conservative publications, uh, such as The Bulwark, that's a, believe me, conservative publication, they carried a piece that said this, As hundreds of Americans lie dying and thousands more grieve their dead, President Trump remains busy acting on his grudges and consolidating power for its own sake while thumbing his nose at the rule of law. So, there you go. 
now. Um, the other piece that came out um, yesterday that just freaked me out, and I hate to, to tell you this, but we should know. I have often said, you know, I, I am... I feel very vulnerable to this virus because I have chronic asthma. And um and when it kicks in, uh, it doesn't like leaving. Uh so it takes often uh, over a month on uh heavy duty, you know, steroids like prednisone and and uh other things to get my lungs back, which means I it, I think that if I were to contract this, I'm a I'm a goner. But I always blamed my asthma on this city, on Pittsburgh. And I obviously, as, a, as somebody who came here and um, chose this to be my home, my forever home, I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere else by far. Um, it's the one thing that I think Pittsburgh staying here did to me uh, because of all the small particulate uh, pollution in the air here. We're one of the worst places in the country for it. Um, I have little doubt that's what, at a late stage, I was like 50-something, when all of a sudden I got asthma. And I've always said, thanks, Pittsburgh, damn. And now the stu- now it comes out. People living in places with high levels of air pollution, especially tiny, small particulate pollution, are getting this disease, COVID when they get it they're getting it worse than others and they're dying from it more so this is from analysis of um the numbers throughout the united states and then looking at the air pollution levels in in places so counties with higher pollution will be the ones that will have higher numbers of hospitalizations, higher numbers of deaths. And if we had a functional federal response that was proactive, it is where many of the resources should be concentrated according to uh, the doctors behind this uh, study. So um, if you live in a place like Pittsburgh, unfortunately, uh, your odds of having asthma are greater. And the fact that you live here as well means that the, your chances of dying of this are greater as well. Uh, it's a Harvard uh, analysis out of Harvard University. Uh, the New York Times headline is, Study Finds a Link Between Air Pollution and Virus Deaths. And I read it first last night, and I thought, great. The Pittsburgh air, which has killed a lot of people over time, 
is still going to kill more. And I want to say this, that the other thing the Trump administration has been doing while our heads have been turned because we're trying to stay alive, almost every few days, it seems, I see a little item tucked away somewhere that the Environmental Protection Agency has relaxed yet another rule designed to get this crap out of our air. Carbon pollution from coal-fired power plants. Oh, man, they're spewing that crap again. Because Obama had, of course, put in, in place um, restraints. Even when Trump's EPA lifted the coal-fired power plant pollution restraints, they acknowledged, sit down for this, his EPA acknowledged that by doing so, it would likely result in about 1,400 more premature deaths of Americans each year. They signed off on it saying, well, so eh, we're going to kill at least like 1,400 Americans a year with this, but the coal companies are going to be happy. And after all, that's who we serve. Last week, uh, the Trump administration said they were weakening, uh, again, Obama's regulations on auto emissions, also spewing more crap into our air. I, I just want you to be aware of all of that. Um, hang on a minute. Um, oh, you saw the lines in Wisconsin. Susan um, and my mother uh, wanting to see it for themselves, even though my mom had voted um, already. Uh, by uh, by mail, they drove by my old high school, which is one of the only a few voting places that was open uh, to voters, and they were blown away. You've seen the pictures. People standing in line. Susan said the line went around, it's a big building, the line went around the building through a parking lot into uh, nearby Joanne's Park. It kept going and going and going. These are people who stood risking their lives for hours to vote. And what those pictures from Wisconsin, take it in. Because this is now the biggest fight. It is a partisan fight. Republicans are going to do the same thing to us all in November. Unless we act now, state by state by state.
It is states that control voting in this country. And we, and here again, we live in a state that even though we have a Democratic governor, we've got, as Wisconsin also has a Democratic governor, but they too have a Republican legislature. And unless these legislatures change the rules so that we can all vote by mail, you could likely see the same thing again in November simply because, and I hate to say it, but most epidemiologists suspect uh, with a certain level of certainty that we're going to be in another epidemic situation with this thing uh, in November again. I mean that it'll tail off in the summer and then come roaring back in, in the fall and winter. So suppressing our ability to vote is now what the Republicans care about most and also, of course, continuing to pack every court in the land. And you saw how that worked. Both the Wisconsin Supreme Court, packed by Republicans, and the U.S. Supreme Court, packed with Republicans, both allowed the debacle in Wisconsin yesterday. And when I saw the pictures out of Milwaukee, a city that what, normally has 141 or something voting places, and, and there were what, five? Did somebody, I mean, how is that even possible? Um, I saw those people standing in line. And the vast majority of people I saw standing in line were black. And a lot of them did not have masks. A lot of them did. A lot of them did not. And they were standing there trying to cast their vote. And this on the same day when we find out that it is black people in urban areas that are dying at a disproportionate, appallingly disproportionate rate. Not because somehow they are more susceptible, but because of the entrenched racism and inequalities in our country so that they don't have the resources, the medical insurance, the, 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 the resources required to uh, avoid going to their low-paying service jobs, which are now, of course, essential, that they live in smaller apartments where being able to isolate is, is really not possible because they're living with extended family. I bet Republicans looked at those pictures and loved it. They saw these long lines of black people trying to vote. And they're figuring, well, they're dying at a really disproportionate rate. So let's see. I wonder how many people in that line in another month we can X off 
We killed him. And if you think they're not thinking that, <laughs> then you're even more naive than than I. Um, okay, we have another caller. Caller, go ahead, please. Hi, Lynn. Hi. Um, this is already happening in Pennsylvania. Um, as you know, we're trying to convince everybody to uh, do mail-in ballots, but the the state legislature, and it was signed by our governor because of what, I'm not exactly sure, um, we have to have all of our precincts open at our primary election. And we have a precinct system, which means that every ballot is different in every precinct, so we can't combine our precincts. Jesus. Um, and poll workers don't want to work. People don't want to go to the polls. But there are a lot of people who you know, don't watch the news. They don't know that the, uh, that the date has changed or that they can even vote by mail. Um, a lot of people don't change their addresses when they, um, when they move from one place to another. Mm-hmm. So even if we had all the correct addresses for every voter, and we sent out ballots to every voter, there would still be a lot of voters that Mm -hmm. wouldn't be voting. Well, now is a time, let me, I'm just going to insert here, that I did um, already request a, a ballot for the primary. I've never done that before, but I... I did, and I, I want to tell you it's relatively easy. you got to jump through a few hoops here and there. Um, but guys, do that now for the primary, and then we'll make sure that people know to do it again. This is, you know, to get this guy out, this is the most consequential election of our lifetime, um, of, for all, I think, of our nation's history, we have got to rid ourselves of this Republican uh, death grip we are in. So you can go to, you, you, you can go, here's where I went. I went to AlleghenyVotes.com, okay? Yeah. AlleghenyVotes.com. You can also go to VotesPA.com. Uh, both, both work, uh, I, I don't know. I didn't do the votespa.com, but I'm assuming it works as well, too. It does. It does. And you have to apply uh, by, at least now, uh, by uh, the 21st uh, of this 26th month. Of May. They have to receive it by the 26th of May. But I think you have to apply by the 21st of this month, don't you? Yeah. I, yeah, so you got to do this I don't today. I have my dates in front of me, so I don't want okay, to. Well, I, okay, but we'll, we'll, we'll clarify that, but yeah. You gotta, because this is the new game plan. Listen, Trump used to figure he was going to win re-election because he was going to run on the strong economy, and he was also going to run against the socialists of, you know, the Democrats. Well, I'm afraid both those strategies are now looking really wobbly, since it was the president himself who uh, forced GM and 3M uh, to 
ex, you know, to change what they were manufacturing as pure socialism there. All the Republicans who voted, you know, for, I mean, they, there are no, there are, everyone's a socialist in a pandemic. So they've now gone over. Uh, and also, of course, the economy is still going to be uh, reeling. So the, he's got nothing. He also has his outrageous, you know, ineptitude showing every every day. So the only way he wins now, for sure, is keeping us from voting. Well, we also have to help the people who don't have access to computers, who right. don't really know what's going on, because and there are tons and tons and tons of them, and the elderly who, you know, I, I don't know how to use a computer. I don't, I don't own a computer. Um, and, you know, even get them to call the office, and the office will send them out a, um, well, uh, a mail-in yeah. request. You know, this is where if the Democratic Party is able to do anything, this is where now they have got to focus. Voter turnout and getting people ballots. This is what that whole apparatus has to do. Yeah. More than anything else. Oh yeah, God. We, we are going to have people I don't I don't know how we're going to staff the polls. I don't know who's going to come to the polls. And there are some people who just say, I've always gone to the polls, I'm going to the polls, I don't care what the what the virus well, is doing. Okay, fine. Well okay. But I that's I assuming though. That's now. assuming yeah, that's assuming that there'll be people, uh, poll workers, who are overwhelmingly older people. Right, and a lot of them have dropped out already. Yeah, no, I don't blame them. I don't blame. You sign them up to be a poll worker. You don't sign up to, you know, uh, you know, give your life in the effort. Although a lot of those folks standing in line in in Wisconsin yesterday said, you know, um, earlier generations. Uh, risked their lives and gave their lives so that I would have the right to vote. The least I can do is risk mine in this way to vote. And, you know, it just, it makes you just want to weep. So thank you very much for your call. And this is, this is, this, what you have brought up is I think the major issue now of, of getting Trump out of office. It's the biggest fight we have. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. I so appreciate the call. Thank you. Hey, I do also have one more happy thing, and then we're going to be uh, joined by um, a guy who uh, works at Pittsburgh City Paper, and his work is featured prominently in the issue that came out today. He is a photographer, and um, he has put together a display of Pittsburgh in the pandemic. I mean, you know, this the emptiness. There's a lot of, you know, photographers now cataloging uh, the strangeness of empty streets and empty, empty highways. Um, so I'm going to talk to him in a, in a, in a little bit. I do want to mention something that happened to me the other day that um, made me awfully happy. I was walking the dog, 
And um, in a neighborhood, I, we sort of wandered into a neighborhood I don't normally go to. And I saw a, like a sign, a hand-lettered sign stuck on a bush uh, in front of someone's house and next to the sidewalk. And there were also things hanging next to the sign. And I came up upon it, and the sign said something to the effect of, um, we made these uh, for you. Uh, if you need one, please take one. And it was homemade masks just hanging from <laughs> the bush in front of the house. And um, I thought, man... I just, it, it just gladdened my heart. It really did. And I did take one because um, you really should have, my understanding is per person, about three per person so that they can be, you know, you wear one and then you don't wear it a second time, you wash it. And so you always have to have uh, another to, and you know, uh, granted, it probably doesn't do much. But it does something, and even if it lessens the odds of uh, of you contracting the virus by, let's say, you know, two percent, that's something. And or even if you don't maybe know you have the virus because you're one of those asymptomatic people, it would protect other people. So I know the mask stuff is, you know, a lot of people saying eh, it doesn't do a thing. Uh, the little you know, masks that people are making. It does something. And it also reminds you that these are not uh, ordinary times. So I think that's uh, pretty, pretty important. I also want to say that um, in regard to what the Supreme Court did uh, yesterday uh, with Wisconsin, do you know they did that while they stayed in their own little houses, right? Oh, excuse me, their Supreme Court justices, in their big houses. They did that sitting in their big houses, protecting themselves. And while sitting there by themselves, protecting themselves, the five Republicans on that court decided that they would not allow Wisconsin voters the same, the same ability to maintain their safety and security. It's unbelievable. They were very careful to make accommodations for their own safety. As for all those poor slobs in Wisconsin, the five Republican-appointed justices said, essentially, ha, fuck you. All right, uh, I'm, I'm done with that. Jared, are you there? I am here. Good, good. This is uh, Jared... Now, do you pronounce it Wickerham, or like an English person would, or Wickerham? <laughs> Wickerham. Yep, you got it right the second time. Okay. Wickerham. Okay. Jared Wickerham is the guy with the camera. And you've been the guy with the camera for an awful long time, huh? 
but yeah, I've been at uh, Pittsburgh City Paper um, for, I guess, probably, uh, I guess it's almost two years now. Um, yeah, but you've been in other places before. I have, yeah. I um, I worked for Getty Images um, in Boston um, for a few years, and um, outside of that, just kind of freelanced for, for various okay. clients. So when you, when you were at Getty, um, did that coincide with the Boston uh, the Boston Marathon bombing? It did, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and I was um, employed by their sport division at the time. Uh, Getty essentially has uh, sport news and entertainment, um, so their staff photographers um, work for specifically that group. Um, but obviously, during that time, I was pulled from sport and, and put on news for, for about two weeks. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was, um, you know, quite a wild time. I, you know, even saw a photo this morning of someone in a friend of mine in Boston and photographed, uh, you know, the streets around Fenway park. And, and it just, you know, yeah. it was a little creepy because it very much reminded me of when we were in lockdown and, and walking around Boston and driving around Boston, there wasn't a a single car, a single person, and as they, you know, um, essentially hunted for, for the Sarnath brothers. Geez, we forget that, yes, Boston was put on a lockdown while they, while they searched for those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have, you have uh, covered uh, calamity uh, before. You covered, well, right, it would have been pretty much, you know, you'd been in Pittsburgh for all of a, what, a, a year or so, and uh, Tree of Life mm-hmm. happened. Right, right, yeah. And, um, you know, even when I lived in Boston, we had um, the Sandy Hook school shooting, which was not far, oh, um, which I was asked to go cover as well. And, you know, that was, um, oh, man, you know, is this, it's, uh, it's, you know, exponentially, it feels like getting getting worse every year. I feel like there's, you know, it, it used to be that it was just those things happening in big cities, and now that we're so connected, it's it's, um, mm-hmm. you know, it can happen anywhere, and and you know, it certainly seems like uh, some of these things are happening at a higher frequency than um, than they ever have. So, um, yeah. Well, you know, it's weird. I live near Tree of Life, and I was. Um, I was walking by it uh, a few days ago, and I thought, "Wow, that was just like a year was it like a year ago a year and a half now, maybe a year mm-hmm. and a half ago, and I thought that was the most horrific thing that could have happened in my in my community in my life and as I walked by a few days ago, I'm walking by empty streets. You know, that's a pretty busy intersection normally. I yeah. not no a car here, a car there. And I thought, wow, we are living in these extraordinary times, which does require, of course, folks in your profession to catalog it. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, it's um you know, I, I think it's hard to, sometimes you got to kind of keep perspective and, and, uh, you know, in the moment, I think, uh, you know, yeah, everyone kind of, you know, needs to and wants to hunker down, but at the same time, you have to really force yourself to think about it and, and realize that years from now, um, 
you know, we're going to want a document of this time and, um, you know, and, and how can you best record history from, from your point of view? Um, what's well, going to be saw, important years down the exactly. road? Exactly. Okay. I saw your, some of your photos from, uh, the strip district. Now, when you think of a place that is, you know, just sort of like roiling with humanity, you know, cheek to jowl and, you know, those sidewalks packed and I, and the road you can't even see because the cars are bumper to bumper. Um, and there's nobody there. It's, it's eerie in a way. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I have friends and family come into town and, and they say they, they want to, you know, have breakfast at Pamela's in the strip, as much as I love my hotcakes, I, I don't want to fight traffic, you know, people. And um, right. so, you know, I, you know, I, I saw a woman who was walking her dog and she said, Leroy loves these walks. You know, he loves these walks. Now there's, there's no one to, to fight with on the sidewalk and, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's quite sad. And there's a lot of staples in Pittsburgh that, um, you know, un- unfortunately, you know, won't, won't survive after all of this. Um, so that's a, you know, you you got to think of both sides. Like, sure, there's there's certainly some positives that that come out of all of this, but there's uh, going to be a lot of people hurting too. So, well, I think the positives are truly dwarfed. So the issue, there's a new issue of City Paper out. Guys, uh, you know, look for it, pick it up, um, and you, your work again is prominent. What is what did you do this this week? So um, the last couple of weeks, I've um, been compiling uh, a number of, um, we called it portraits of the pandemic. Um, we found a number of people willing to um, to be photographed who are essential workers in Pittsburgh. Um, I tried to get as many different professions from as many different types of people and neighborhoods and communities. Um, so on the cover, we're featuring um, Sydney Davis, um, who's a bus driver for Port Authority, um, who just happens to also be a, a former photojournalist. He's a photojournalist for the Trib for many years. For heaven's sakes. Oh, um, wow. And, uh, you know, we have a nurse. Um, uh, she works at AGH, a uh, postal worker from Stanton Heights. Um, we have a, an owner of an auto repair shop in the south side. Um you know, a rabbi, a restaurant crew, um, you know, even, even people like Rick Dayton, you know, the, the morning news anchor at KDKA who told me some wild stories about how he's, how he's adjusted in this time. I mean, he's been, you know, a couple weeks filming from his house and doing, you mm-hmm. know, just like we are doing, doing phone interviews, mm-hmm. um, doing Skype interviews and editing that video himself and putting it together and, and essentially well, now, making in a it case- look like he's in the studio. Yeah, but in a case like that, so was he uncomfortable having you, then you photographed him in his home. So was he uncomfortable having you come into his home? So we actually did it outside, um, uh-huh. outside of the KDK studios. He, he, he was home for a couple of weeks, I believe, and then um, he was in the studio for a couple of weeks. But they're mm-hmm. only, um, they only let in a, a very limited number of people into the studios. Um, you know, it's a, it's a CBS rule and... Uh, so he said, I think it's just two of them. I think it's just the tech, somebody running camera, um, and, and him. 
and they, mm-hmm. they don't overlap. Um, you know, he said someone from, from news will come in, but they'll stand clear on the other side of the room. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's none of that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure as we all do, we miss that, that community, you know, being at the office at city paper and, you know, in Rick's case, yeah. you know, being around all of your coworkers and it's true. It's, it's really man, man, man. Hey, I think, you know, our, I, I was told that you uh, were in, uh, you had gone off because you were, you still do a lot of sports stuff. You had gone off to, uh, uh, to California to, to photograph this, uh, this tennis tournament, major tennis tournament. And you know what? I was, I think, in the same place as you were because on March 31st, I flew out to Palm Springs. And when I got off the plane, I, there were a lot of people around, and some people had tennis rackets. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I remember my friend said, I think there's a big tournament that's ha- going to happen here. Is that where you were at Indian Wells? Yes, yeah. I, um, there's actually, there was a tournament right before, um, so you probably meant February 31st. There was a... Um, there was a small tournament called the Oracle Challenger Series for a week that ended on the Sunday the 1st, I believe. And then the BNP Paribas Open, which is the big one, um, I, I run a photo team out there of four photographers, two photo editors. We have writers and social media and PR and the whole, the whole gamut. And um, yeah, so we finished the Oracle Challenger Series tournament on Sunday around 2.30 and at about 6 o'clock. Everybody from my team had landed. Some of them came in from Wyoming and, you know, New York, New Jersey. Um, mm-hmm. We had people come in from Canada. Um, luckily, we stopped the one guy who was coming in from Australia before he his <laughs> Can you imagine going all that way and then being told, never mind, <laughs> turn yeah. around? Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of them yeah. landed to that news of the BNP being canceled. I think we were one of the first uh, sporting events in, in North America. Um, that got canceled. canceled. Yeah, and I think at the time we all thought, you know, this might be a little bit of an overreaction. We, you know, it felt worse and worse every day. Uh, absolutely, but even on March first, we thought maybe this is—I don't know. I mean, maybe they're just taking the safe route. And obviously, as as the days went on, it it became clear they made the right decision. Um, had exactly, they not, it right. would have been canceled a day or two later, anyways. But uh, yeah, but you're it absolutely escalated so quickly. You're right. And uh, I was there for a week and got out on March 7th. But um, yeah, I was nervous. I mean, getting on a plane and all that. Right. And I've been pretty much holed up since. But you your job requires you to be out there. And I I, I hope you're you're taking care. I am. Um, I am. I am. Yep. Lisa okay. provided us all with masks and, you know, I have gloves Great. and disinfecting wipes and, you know, all, all, the, <laughs> all stuff. the stuff. Keeping the distance and okay. yep, washing, doing a lot of laundry. So, yep. Yeah. Well, Jared Wickerham, uh, very nice talking to you. You be safe, keep up the good work and, um, and thank you so much yeah, because you're, you're you out there me. too. Okay. Thank you. It. Bye. Bye-bye. Um, yeah, there's somebody who's, yeah, start, you know, we're writing history and, uh, he's doing the, the history here in Pittsburgh as are so many others as well. I want to catch up on some of the, um, emails that have come in. 
Um, uh, let's see. This is from Sean King. Is that some? Is this something? Okay, wait. Uh, African Americans represent just. This is from Milton. Uh, African Americans represent just 32 percent of the population of Louisiana, but over 70 percent of the deaths there. Wow. Black folk represent just 29% of the population in Chicago, but over 70% of the deaths in Chicago. In Michigan, African Americans represent just 14% of the population, but 40% of the deaths there. Same kind of data holding true in Philly. I don't know about here in Pittsburgh. Milwaukee, I believe the disparity is going to obviously show the same. Uh, oh, wait, you're saying in Milwaukee, it is as bad as any, oh, of course. African Americans represent just 26% of the population. So they represent a quarter of the Milwaukee population, but over 81 percent of the coronavirus deaths and yet those black people were standing in line yesterday they were standing in line to vote and those fucking republicans know damn well they ain't voting republican But this is Sean King writing, and he says, as this data becomes mainstream, I believe what is going to happen is that we are going to see conservative white Americans care less and less about the pandemic. Oh, yeah, it's killing black people. Well, something we don't care about. Uh Sean King also says before this demographic data was out, we saw some states with Republican governors like Ohio and Georgia reschedule their primaries. But now that we see precisely who is paying the biggest price, I sincerely think, he says, we're going to see conservative white Americans check out emotionally. Oh, God. God. Chuck writes, when I applied online for my mail-in ballot for the primary, they also asked me if I wanted a mail-in ballot in the fall, and I indicated yes. I didn't see that question. Huh. Okay. Well, that's good to know. That is how they should do it. Uh, Lou tells us the last day to register to vote is May 18th. The last day to apply for an absentee ballot is May 26th. Okay, so you got a lot more time than I thought. Thank you for that. The primary election will be June 2nd. Geez, I wouldn't wait till May 26th because what happened to a lot of people in Wisconsin is they applied in a timely fashion, but toward the end of the application uh, time, and they never received a ballot. A lot of them never received their ballot. 
Um, okay, and Barbara tells me that a Rugrats Passover is the twenty third episode of the third season. Okay, so if you if you go uh, to uh, where is it? Season three, episode twenty three. Um, originally aired in 1995. Oh, man, I remember watching it and thinking it was the most hysterical thing I'd ever seen. Um, so check it out. Third season, 23rd episode. It's called A Rugrats Passover. Th- <laughs> Thank you uh, for that. Um Debbie writes, I have a plumber in my house now. Pipes are leaking. They are old. I can't wait for things to get back to normal. So we're staying away from each other. Keeping three dogs quiet. Going to be a long day. I also got a mail-in ballot. Wonder where I can get a bunch to fill out. Like Trump said. Oh, oh, Trump's saying, yeah, people going to get voted. <laughs> Meanwhile, he voted absentee. In, you know, I was a Florida resident. He voted uh, mail-in. And a reporter asked him, but you voted mail-in. And he said, well, yeah, because I could. Um, God, please help us. Anyway, um, here is your COVID update from the Allegheny County Health Department. They they drop this thing about 11 eight, every day. Um, okay, yeah, Okay, this is uh, much bigger than it was yesterday. Uh, And you know it's an undercount um, because we don't have access to the kind of testing we should have. They're saying 720 positive cases. I'm sure you could add 1,000 or two to that. Um, 113 hospitalizations and 10 deaths now. That age group of 25 to 49 continue to outpace um, all the others of uh, in terms of uh, positive cases. And uh, for some reason, more females than males around here, even though every other place they're saying quite the opposite. I don't know. What is it with women here? I guess because we're old. <laughs> we are old. Um, yeah, I also want to note the passing of uh, the great John Prine. And if you uh, have never bothered to listen to John Prine, oh my God, uh, treat yourself. He was amazing. Um, I want to, hang on, I want to see... My, I mean, some his songs are well. They're they're Dylan-esque in a way, uh, Bob Dylan-esque, um, in that they tell stories um, of of regular people, and uh, they are uh, they're they're just brilliant. I mean, I, I think maybe the one most people know that maybe got covered the most is um, Hello in there, Hello, I Just Called to Let You Know, right? That one, um, which is about loneliness and older people um, 
there's just anyway, why can't I can't find it now? God damn it. Um oh yeah. Here it is. And just let me check. He died by the way of coronavirus, okay? He was uh seventy three. Um Oh, for Christ's sake. Now I've lost it again. I'm a subscriber. Let me see it. God damn it. They're not letting me. Uh, Okay. I don't know how to sign in right now. Um, We have a caller. I'm sorry. I I forgot about you callers for a second. Um, Those that hung up, uh, call back. I'll keep going here for a while. Um, hello, caller, are you there? Hello? Anyone there? Hello? I guess they hung up too. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's what happens when I go on and on. And uh, I guess, well, if we don't have callers, although let me try to find um, that John Prine uh thing in another way um okay um raspy voiced heartland troubadour who wrote and performed songs about faded hopes failing marriages flies in the kitchen (laughs) oh and the desperation of people just trying to get by. He was, as one of his songs put it, the bard of broken hearts and dirty windows. He was a mail carrier, um, and he would write a lot of his songs on his route. You know, he'd just get in his head and... Um, I mean, his fans are, you know, take in like every every other great musician. Uh, one who called him the closest thing I could imagine to ever being around Mark Twain. Yeah. So, um, hello in there. And uh, Paradise are, is another one of his great songs, which is autobiographical. And it's a lament about how his family's Kentucky town, where he grew up, was literally demolished to make way for a strip mine. Uh, One of his first uh, glowing reviews came from not a music critic, but Roger Ebert, the you know, famous film critic. And uh, Ebert had seen him at a at a Chicago uh, watering hole and just wrote this, uh, you know, rave. Um, let me, uh, Chris Christopherson uh, went to hear him at the same Chicago uh, club and then listened to about seven songs, and then Christofferson asked him to play them all again. He couldn't believe what he just heard. 
Christofferson said he was unlike anybody I'd ever seen. Such a young kid, and yet he's writing songs like Hello in there. He was singing some of the best songs I've ever heard. And they're still the best songs I've ever heard. And in Hello in there, it's an old man reflecting on his life and all his sorrows. And one line is, we lost Davy in the Korean War, and I still don't know what for. It don't matter anymore. Old people just grow lonesome, waiting for someone to say, hello in there, hello. got a few other lines from other ones I'll share with you. Um, he did one on Dear Abby. Um, <laughs> dear Abby, dear Abby, my fountain pen leaks. My wife hollers at me and my kids are all freaks. Every side I get up on is the wrong side of bed. If it weren't so expensive, I'd wish I were dead. Signed, unhappy. One of the poet laureates of the U.S., Ted Couser, uh, said he is a truly original writer, unequaled, and a genuine poet. That's from the poet laureate of the American people. He did a better job of holding up the mirror of art to the 60s and 70s than any of our official literary poets, and none of our poets wrote anything better about Vietnam than Prine's Sam Stone, which is a, a chilling ballad about a wounded veteran coming home. One of the lines is, with a purple heart and a monkey on his back. And the refrain is, there's a hole his child sees him and says, there's a hole in daddy's arm where all the money goes because he's addicted to morphine to ease his pain. Um, anyway, gotta say, um, if you can treat yourself t today, uh, why don't you listen um, to some of some of John Prine's uh, greats because God knows there's a ton of them and that'd be, um, that'd be a way. Actually, this is from the Paradise, the one about his hometown being plowed under. Daddy, won't you take me back to Muhlenberg County down by the Green River where Paradise lay? Well, I'm sorry, my son but you're too late in asking. Mr. Peabody's coal train has hauled it away. Oh, man. Okay. Well, guys, um, Amy, is that caller still there? I'm sorry, because then I went on again. Caller, if you're there, last call.
All right. You need more staying power. I'm going to have to hand out Viagra to all of you. All right, guys, that's it. Again, a happy Passover to my Jewish listeners. And uh, be well. Hang in there. Listen to John Prine and watch Rugrats uh, Season 3, Episode 23. Was that it? Uh, Rugrats Passover. It's a riot. Okay? I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.